0: Welcome to MLR Kickoff,
1: episode forty five with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Well, welcome, folks. World Cup. It is in full swing. I'm sure everyone tuning in is sleep-deprived, caffeine overloaded, and enjoying all the action from Japan. I know my co-commentator right now, Pete Steinberg, he is uh, fighting the eternal battle between the pillowcase and the microphone. Pete, how are you feeling tonight after that game last night, USA-France, an early start for you?
0: Yeah, well, I have to admit that... um uh my my wife and I were having discussions when we went to bed, like, do we really want to get up? It's it's USA France. And she actually said, you yeah, know, it's gonna be fine. Um France will, you know, the US will play well. And then, you know, 15 minutes in, France will score a couple of tries and we'll start pulling it away, and then I can roll over and get to sleep. And um that's not what happened. So we stayed up for the full two hours, loved it. Um like on the edge of our seat for about sixty-five minutes, and uh, um, a really, really strong performance by uh, by the Eagles. But I think we're going to come onto that a little bit later. But a little sleep deprived, I managed to get a little cat nap in today, so doing fine.
1: Well, that's good. We are. You are right. We will look at the World Cup a little later. But first. We will jump into our review of New Orleans Gold, NOLA Gold, and the year that was in 2019. We have Ryan Fitzgerald joining us on the show, the GM down there, to talk a little bit of NOLA Gold as well. Plus, we will jump in and put our GM caps on as we look ahead to 2020 for New Orleans. But first, Pete, let's talk about 2019 for New Orleans. Really, they came out of the gates in fantastic form. A lot of home games with the good weather down in the south there but the surprise packet in my mind of the year, especially for, you know, what would turn out to be three quarters of the season before that late end, uh, end of the year slump from them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, um, I, you know, I, you could see in season one what Nate Osborne was trying to do with Nola Gold and you could, um, they just weren't quite able to pull it off. Um, I think they had some of the best attacking structures in the league and they definitely came out of the gate fast. Um, and you know, this, it's going to be interesting because they're a warm weather team, Dan. So they, um, you know, got to play a lot of games early at home. They had the advantage of being able to train outside, uh, relative to some of some of the teams that maybe had snow um, and had to, you know, train indoors or outdoors in bad conditions. But they definitely came out strong, um, and they and they fell off at the end of the season. And I think that um, you know, uh, I know I've, I've I've had some conversations with Nate. I know you. You know, we'll be talking to Ryan um, and and what I love about, um, you know, the guys that are involved in um, NOLA Gold is they're really up front and they're just like, hey, we didn't do well enough to get into the playoffs. No, no real excuses.
1: Yeah, it was kind of crazy, wasn't it? I remember you and I talking on this show towards the back end of the season and we were trying to figure out that top four and it was NOLA was penciled in, penciled in, penciled in. Then they started to have those losses and there was the question mark. And then we did that online poll and the majority of, of fans around the league said, no, it's going to be New Orleans who miss out. And unsurprisingly, it was New Orleans that missed out. As a coach, looking at that, what what did you see as the reason for the decline? And as a coach, how hard is it to stop a team when they start free falling like that?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's there's a couple of things. Like if you if you look at the stats right and and you know me Dan I'm always looking at the stats you know this is one of the best attacking teams they were number 1 in try scored um uh you know number 3 in points um but what was interesting is that you know they didn't have any leading ball carriers like they were their 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 play was was very rounded um and you know, but but they had a couple of game breakers. You know, so Tristan Blewett, obviously a real breakout star of the season, um, and J.P. Eloff, um, both um, league leaders in line breaks and broken tackles. But they they actually struggled, I think, in in a couple of areas. So the first area they, which was interesting when I, I looked at the stats is that they they had the the least territory of any team in the league. Right, and if and if you think about the 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 team that they have, where they've got um you know a Con Foley and they've got a JP Eloff, you know, and and throughout their backline they've got people that can all play ten and can all kick. This is something that did not leverage the kicking game very much. So they had to work really really hard to score their tries, but it also meant that they put themselves in a position where if they weren't successful, they found themselves under pressure. So you know. They were, you know, number five in tri conceded, so not, not terrible, but, but not great. They were also one of the worst teams in generating turnovers. And I think that, you know, if you, if you look at their back row, and I'll get to, you know, this is where I think we start talking about what happened at the end of the season. Um, I actually think that you, you can look, I think they started losing their games when Kyle Bailey, the Canadian um, flanker, um, got injured. Like, the, like their losing streak started with, with Kyle Bailey, but their poor performance actually to me, or their their um, decrease in performance started before that when they lost Ben Ta. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a back, I was a scrum half, um, but in my coaching world, I've coached the forwards more than I've coached the backs. And the tight head prop, it's very, very hard to replace a quality tight head prop. And what happened is that their scrum started to be less stable, which meant that they weren't able to launch effectively. In fact, they're one of the best teams in scoring off first phase, but they couldn't do that because their scrum wasn't as good. That meant that they weren't able to get the go-forward ball. That meant that they were under pressure in their attack. And so even though their losing started when Kyle Bailey um, was, was injured, and I think that that's what led to some of their turnover issues and their breakdown challenges. Um, I actually think you can go all the way back to when they lost Ben Tarr and they lost that solid platform, and that was when things really, really, um, you know, started to become more difficult for them.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Ben Tarr because I do talk to Ryan Fitzgerald a little bit about Ben, and I agree with you, Pete. I really do think Ben Tarr was such a big part. Now, to me, he comes across as one of those old-school props, right? He doesn't have the the big, tall, physical look of a modern-day prop. But he is a master at scrummaging. And I feel as though the other seven forwards, when they see Ben Tar and they're heading to a scrum, they probably feel a little bit more confident going to that scrum, knowing that, hey, that's our that's our anchor, that's our rock right there. We're a chance at you know, doing something at like this set piece. When Ben was gone, you, you lost a little bit of that swagger at set piece. And then to add to that, again, brought up by you, the, the master coach, Pete Steinberg, Kyle Bailey it was one of their biggest lineout threats, and then teams just keyed off on Cam Dolan, who was, you know, the last man standing basically as a, as a real lineout threat, and they were able to nullify that. So, not only injuries, but it was just those key players that were the cornerstone of their attacking impetus came from that set piece and the lineouts and the scrums, like you said. So, always a tough challenge. So, how do they address that then?
0: Well, well let's, let's before before we get to to that and and you know before we talk to Ryan, I just want to say something which I think has been really interesting about Nola and and you know um, we we get to talk to um, a lot of people in the league in, in our role as, as commentators on this podcast and and you know there are so many people doing really good work. It's it's I've, I've been really impressed and you know we we hear it now from um you know from places like Austin where they talk about the culture and and those sorts of things and I think that. You know, um, like Ryan and, and Nate are really building something culturally that's important at NOLA. They're really building it for the long term. And you could see that in the um, last game of the year for them. Um, it was uh, against San Diego. Um, I was actually uh, um, down there calling that game. And, you know, this was a um, a, a NOLA team that uh, – let me, let me see if I have this right. I think Kane Thompson was injured for that, for, injured for that game. Um, Kyle Bailey was injured for that game. Um, Con Foley pulled up in the um, warm-up. And so they had to replace him um, right before the game. And then Eric Howard was lost um, 20 minutes in. So they're captain and hooker. So, yeah, these are four pillars, right, of their team. and And they actually played very, very hard. Um, against that, the San Diego team away from home. And I think that tells you something about the culture that they're building. And, you know, I will never, I don't think, um, I don't think I will ever forget the uh, um, tackle that JP Duplessis uh, did on Tristan Blewett in that game, where Tristan Blewett, you know, got the ball, went outside the thirteen, looked well, five meters away from the line, looked certain to score. Looked like it was going to be the score that it was going to be the score that put San Diego up. Um, you know, this was in the second half, and somehow JP Duplessis defended twelve and then covered to get Tristan Bluer, and 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 that's you know you can argue that that was the tackle that put Nola out of the playoffs. But the fact that they were even in the game at that point says a lot about the culture that Nate and Ryan are building.
1: Yeah, one of the best finishes too, Tristan Blewett. I do remember that low grassing tackle that brought him down. It was uh, almost a certain try, wasn't it? You'd, you'd think nine times out of ten against most defenders, Tristan Blewett in that situation, he scores. But J.P. Duplessis, he was the uh, back of the year for a reason, Pete, because of plays like that.
0: Yeah, um, um, he's he's one of my favorite favorite players. I, he, he's one of those guys that when you watch him, you know, he's from South Africa. You 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 have to say they've got to be some really good players in South Africa. If that guy, um, you know, can't play for a Super Rugby team, he is a an absolute stud.
1: Well, he almost made his way under the New Orleans Saints. So wouldn't that have been a story? He had a, an extended tryout through mini camp there with the Saints and. Uh, interesting to see. I think the uh, the relationship's still pretty open between the Saints and Nola Gold, so who knows? Could be a, a nice carrot for Ryan Fitzgerald to dangle to these players who maybe watch a little NFL, have some interest. We've seen Valentine Holmes at the Jets and Christian Wade up at the Bills this year. Uh, we've had some previous experience with rugby guys going over there as well. The Scottish Hammer, I don't know if you know the Scottish Hammer, he's the punter for the Browns now. Uh, played rugby as a high school guy growing up in Scotland, so starting to see a little bit of transition there. So who knows? Who knows a little bit more as Major League Rugby evolves as well there with the NFL. Be uh, interesting to see. I'm sure uh, the SaberCats wouldn't mind JJ Watt uh, packing down in a in a couple of scrums.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think we might see some rugby players going to the NFL. I'm not sure that Major League Rugby is ready yet to get take some of those NFL players. Um, into, in, in, into rugby, but um, hopefully hopefully, we'll see that in the future.
1: Well, one of your countrymen, Piers Morgan, came out and had a very insightful, very intelligent, uh, calculated tweet saying that after England beat the USA, that this is, this is what would happen if uh, the NFL players took off their pads. And his name escapes me now. I'm going to try to find it really quick, but there was replied to, I believe he played for the Jacksonville Jaguars for, for a while. Um, responded to him saying, basically, "Hey, I'm in. I'm in England. I've got my boots. Bring it on! Like, I'll show you what I can do. And uh, I gotta, I've got to, I've got to try to find it. But yeah, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? it it'd be a different world we'd live in uh, all those years ago. And just to digress, you know the story of how you know rugby kind of took a back step to American football here.
0: Um, I, uh, I I have my version of it. What's your version of it?
1: Well, it actually was a punter because they didn't have the forward pass, or so the forward pass was limited in American football and then he uh or not used. He panicked, got into a bind, threw it forward and it turned out to be successful and that was the evolution of the forward pass. Uh, the game was kind of dull and boring and rugby was more enjoyable to watch, but after that they changed the the game a little bit and the forward pass became a commonplace and American football took off from there. I believe it was a uh, Ivy League, it might have been like a Harvard Yale game or something as well. So, intellectual,
0: I feel like that about that. That sounds like about that, about as true as William Webb Ellis being the first person to pick up the rugby ball at the rugby school.
1: Soccer ball, he picked up a soccer ball, remember?
0: Well, it wasn't a soccer ball, it was a rugby ball because they were playing at rugby,
1: but it didn't exist. The game didn't exist, it was the soccer
0: ball. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so, so this is so, so back in the day. Right. So in the 19th century, each English private school had its own version of the game, even though, like, they some, you know, most of them didn't pick up the ball. They all had their own version. So rugby would play a version of football, but they would still, it'd still be rugby. And then if rugby played another um, private school, they would actually have to negotiate the rules that they would have because the two schools didn't have the same one. So they were still, because he was playing at rugby, he was still playing rugby. Um, And it wasn't soccer because soccer. Um, and I think I've said this before, comes from the word association. And the Football Association didn't exist until 50 years after William Webb Ellis allegedly picked up the ball. So there was no soccer and there was no rugby. There were just different versions of football, each from each private school. I think we may have, like, got a little bit off on a tangent here. I'm surprised that um, – uh, Aaron behind the virtual glass hasn't in, intervened let's uh let's get on to the uh, let's get back on track let's uh let's uh, let's uh let's hear about your interview with uh um with Ryan Fitzgerald and then we'll talk about um what New Orleans needs to do next year
1: I was gonna say no better person to get us back on track than Ryan Fitzgerald the GM from Nola Gold he was very gracious with his time and sat down with me earlier and we got to have a talk about the season that was, the season that is, and everything in between. Hope you enjoy my chat with Ryan Fitzgerald. Joined now by Nola Gold, General Manager, Ryan Fitzgerald. And Fitzy, thanks a lot for joining the show. Busy off season for you, mate? Yes,
2: absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, yes, it's been a very busy off offseason, um, as they always are. Um, this one in particular is uh, uh, definitely going into year two and into year three. Um, been extremely busy, but very exciting. Very exciting.
1: Well, mate, let's talk a little bit about year two. It's in the rearview mirror now, but coming out of the gates, probably the biggest turnaround from year one was Nola Gold. It was a bit of an up and down year as you kind of found your footing down there in year one. But year two, the dominant side through you know, 80% of the season, how was the focus and the turnaround from year one to year two?
2: Yeah, I thought we were right on. We were really, obviously, like you said, really excited to come out and um, you know, with a great start. Um, And get things going. I thought we were right on schedule. You know, year one, we had some uh, unfortunate injuries, of course, but we really felt at the end of the year that we had a lot of our core guys and we had a lot of really good culture and a lot of our core guys that wanted to be here, want to be a part of it. And we're excited uh, to take that next step. Um, we definitely did take that next step into year two. Um, of course, it didn't quite finish the way we wanted to, but um, all those core guys were back for year two. Added um, a lot of you know good quality veterans around them, a lot of key you know big playmakers around them, uh, along with some very young depth coming out of college that uh, were able to excel, uh, accelerate quickly um, with some of our veteran leaders and senior leaders around them. So um, you know we came out jumping off a of year two and. Um, it started really, really coming together. Um, and then obviously, you know, the back end, uh, we trailed off a little bit there and it was a tough one. But, uh, you know, it was, a, like you said, uh, an outstanding leap from year one to year two. And we're excited for the growth of it going into year three. Hey, let's talk a
1: little bit about the back end of the year. Have you sat down with Nate and the senior leadership down there and tried to pinpoint what happened? Like you guys were... Running on this wave of momentum coming into it, and then it's almost as though the finish line was there in front, and it just couldn't get over it
2: right, yeah, you know um you know there, we did we did we sat down um kind of at the end of the year, um, and we definitely you know all of us kind of you know like you said senior leaders, the captains uh, and, you know our our coaching staff myself, everything that and I think what it really all boiled down to dan obviously there's there's things that you can point at here and there and stuff, but and it starts with me at the top, it starts everywhere. Um, you know, all the way down from myself at the top to to Nate to the rest of our coaching staff, all the way down. Every individual player um, was just tightening up the attention to detail a little bit down the stretch. Of course, we had some injuries down the stretch just like everybody did, but that's no excuse. Um, it just really the attention to detail. We had the talent. We had the game plans in place, and it might be something like, you know, when you play Seattle and we outscored them four tries to one up at their place, but, you know, we had six offsides that led to Brock Staller getting 18 points. Um, knock ons against San Diego at home, you know, uh, missing touch on a key player against Rooney, um, and losing by two. You know, just just little six inch plays like that that really changed the course of a game. And if you're playing in this league against uh very tough competition and the parody in this league is very good and there's good players all around, they're gonna make you pay for it. And and they did. And um some of those breaks that we got in the beginning of the year when we started off three and one right off the bat, um, you know, didn't go our way in the second half. And like I said, that's attention to detail. That's missing just, you know, just those little six inch things that add up to the, uh, you know, um, to coming up just short. And that's what happened. And I, like I said, we could point out some other things here and there's some key injuries on players, but I mean, there's no reason to cry up a river on that. Every single team in the league has got injuries, you know? So I think it was really about attention to detail. And I'm not sitting here, you know, on October 1st saying that we're never going to lose a game again at Noah Gold, you know, but I will promise you that, Uh, I think our staff, myself, every player with exact clarity, uh, you know, we won't be losing any games based off attention to detail. And like I said, it's not even just the 80 minutes on the pitch. It's, It's throughout the course of the week. It's throughout the course of whatever, you know, have to make corrections, have to can't just ride on um your know, laurels are uh if we're you know scoring you know 35 40 points a game in the beginning of the year um sometimes you know some good teams are going to scout that and make some adjustments and we need to make adjustments and uh tighten up all the attention to detail around us and um it started as soon as the season ended it started the next day so um we'll get after it reloaded here and uh come out guns blazing again for year 3
1: now it's it was tough with the schedule how it was set up in particular for New Orleans, you played at home pretty much predominantly at the opening part of the year. Do you think that may have had something to do with it or how did you approach that with the, with the playing group and with the coaching staff, knowing that, hey, we're going to be at home a lot, we need to win these games, but then coming down the stretch or on the road, do you think maybe that emotional toll of travelling so much at the back end also took its toll?
2: Um yeah maybe a touch but honestly um honestly Dan I'm not gonna use that excuse at all I mean we got no one to complain to Toronto started off the season starting off eight straight games on the road so uh you know and we and then eight finished eight and eight at home you know so um that's the schedule that's what comes out and uh, we've been kind of saying around here all summer long you know n- you know nobody cares work harder so uh that's the ad- that's what you got that's the adversity deal with it you know you got a back call deal with it you got uh uh two back-to-back tough ones on the road deal with it Um, Nobody cares. Work harder. So, um, you know, it was very important for us to come out guns blazing, you know, and get those wins at home like we did uh, to start the season and start off good. But we got to finish on the back end. And uh, we knew also, honestly, when we looked at that schedule before we even played one game, before that opener uh, against Toronto, we saw those last two games at the end there um, at New York, at San Diego, flying from, you know, from New Orleans to New York and then back to New Orleans and then back to San Diego. We knew those two, especially those two teams, very tough those are going to be playoff games. Those are going to be an extension of the playoff games, and they were. And, um, you know, like I said, we came up a little bit short where we wanted to didn't, didn't want to. And uh, sometimes just that's how sports works as well. You know, we, if you look at the Toronto game that we went up and played, we, lose, we win on the last play of the game when Dottie touches it down, uh, you know, punching it in, in there. That, that game could have went the other way. Um, there's, there's games that a couple bounces here and there could have went the other way, so, um, you know, including – the back end when we lose 24 22 to Rooney and then uh, a couple bounces the other way against San Diego, and we're right in the hunt. So, um, but I think that also shows how tough this league is that there is no week off. Um, even when we played Austin, who had a tough year this year, still they took us all the way to the wire and we had to win on the last play of the game. So, this league is very, very competitive uh, whether you're playing at home or you're playing on the road. And there is no one to cry to as far as the schedule goes or where you're playing or the heat or the cold or anything. Um, You got to deal with it. And we got to tighten up that attention to detail. And we will here for year three.
1: Yeah. Year three schedules out, mate. What do you think of, uh, the setup this year with the conferences more favorable, you think, with the the setup now? Yeah, for you guys.
2: Yeah, I I I love it. It's it's great. You know, it's great that we have you know from from year one uh, with seven teams and already entering the year three, we're already at twelve to be able to break up into two divisions like that, two conferences, the East and the West. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's I think it's good. It's it's good to get uh, you know still play every single team, which is good, but uh, and then also logistically to kind of be able to break up with the East and the West. Uh, I think that'll definitely uh help as well on the players toll especially since we're going from uh you know having three buys last year to having one so it definitely is uh less the less amount of time that we can spend traveling uh the better so yeah i think it's uh i think it's very good i I really
1: like the setup i think it's it's gonna be it's gonna go real well well nice mate let's let's jump into your squad for 2020 some new signings coming to the club if you've got uh if you've got some scoops for us, talk a little bit more in depth about not only the players, but what attracted to you those players coming down to New Orleans and what they're going to bring. The big one for me was Dino Waldron. Uh, we saw some scrum issues time uh, at times with Ben Tar being injured most of the year. You lose, like you said, injuries, unfortunate, everyone goes through them. But the signing of Dino Waldron, he joins a lot of his St. Mary's teammates down there. Was that a push from the players like Timmy Malpin, those guys, to say, hey, let's get Dino down here, or did you know that, hey, this is a guy we really want to bring in?
2: Yeah, um, you know, Holden knows him very well. Moppin, Kevin O'Connor, and got a good relationship and kind of building a little bit of a pipe, you know, uh, with Tim O'Brien at St. Mary's. We, it just kind of worked out that way that a lot of good players have come from there, and we really like their competitive edge and spirit they bring to the team. Um, yeah, I, I've i been uh, – a. I've always thought Dino's a very good player, uh, even, you know, obviously with his time with the Eagles and then, uh, and the back end of last year as well, um, you know, trying to go after him as well. And, um, he was already on board with San Diego at the back end. So, um, we've liked Dino from the jump. I think it's a very good fit here. Um, like you said, obviously with the connections with his, uh, fellow, uh, teammates from St. Mary's, but also even another connection as well is that he was actually roommates with Kyle Bailey at London Irish. I'm sorry, London Scottish, uh, uh, two years ago. So um, there was some good connection there. And like you said, you can never have enough uh, depth in the front row with Benny going down last year was really tough when you lose your, uh, you know, an eagle tight head up front um, and that tight head kind of holds the uh, that scrum. It kind of uh, got shaken up a little bit in the back end. So being able to add Dino was huge. Love his style of play. Love his attitude, uh, his physicality. Um, Just overall, you know, really, really hard worker, good teammate that I think is going to excel here very well.
1: With him and Kyle Bailey maybe rooming together again, Halloween around the corner, Danny DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger twins. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be a good little fit, right, those two?
2: It sure would. It sure would. Those two probably could pull it off.
1: Yeah. 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 Let's talk about Robbie Coleman now. Uh, Unfortunately for the rest of the league, yet another Australian comes in. So apologies to everyone. Um, apologies to the the good, yeah, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let, I'll let Nate know you said that. The good people of New Orleans are a uh, burden with yet another one. And, uh, what, what attracted you to Robbie and bring him in? Obviously the success of, uh, of Con Foley down there, um, was big, but what attracted you to Robbie?
2: Um, just an explosive player, obviously just a playmaker out the back. And, you know, one of his biggest things that you watch with him when you watch the tape is obviously, you know, obviously he's a playmaker. He can, he handles well. He does every single checks, all the boxes, as far as, you know, every single kind of a playmaker you're looking for. He defends his position very well, whatever he's playing, he's a fear, pretty fearless player. But one of the biggest things for us that he brings to the table for us, like a lot of our backs do, um, is the versatility, um, to be able to be that versatile at, at, the, at the super rugby level, uh, to be able to come here, um, You know, and do that the same way, you know, with 16 games, 17 weeks, there is some injuries like we talked about guys get nicked up here and there that I think a lot of times, uh, you know, versatility and versatile players win, you know, uh, as far as like getting that roster spot and uh, having multiple conversations with them during the recruitment, um, talking to him, his attitude. Um, he is a fiery, uh, guy that really wants to get here and get stuck in immediately. And, uh, I think he's a, he's a perfect fit for us as far as what we're trying to do. And, um, again, he's got that attitude of like, don't care where I play. doesn't matter if it's 10, 15, winger center, whatever it is. I just, just wants to get out there and get stuck in with the guys. And, uh, I think he's going to be a very, very smooth transition for us and, a, uh, a big name to, uh, make some plays this, uh, this, this season.
1: Well, after the year that your two South Africans in uh, Tristan Blewett and J.P. Elof had, not a surprise. You go back down to South Africa for the last signing. Carl Mayer, tell us a little bit about him. Spending a lot of time in Wales, though. Are, you, are we getting the South African car or the Welsh car to the New Orleans car?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. It's a little, I guess, a little mixture of both. But it, you know, he just actually Carl got into town about two weeks ago out here, and he's got here early to immediately get with the guys and start working with Ed Kostner, our strength and conditioning coach. Um, and immediately, it's like it's like he's been here uh, and known, known the guys kind of from day one. Um, it was a very smooth transition getting here. Um, big unit, um, you know. He's all of six three. You know, right in that two thirty five, two forty range. Uh, runs well. Just you know, excellent ball handler. And an absolute uh, hammer for a leg um, as far as for kicking for territory or uh, or for post um, so it's a definitely a weapon and a really nice weapon to have is uh, you know as far again another versatile player 10 through 15 He's played them all uh, played with Kingsley Jones when he was in Wales um, you know everything from 10 to 12 13 including fullback as well so um, another versatile player and playmaker that we can add a lot of experience at that level real high level um, And like another guy that defends his position, not afraid to tackle, not afraid to get up in it. And um, even though just the, excuse me, just the two weeks that he's been here um, is already starting to work with a lot of our, you know, academy guys and a lot of our men's club guys. And, um, you know, just coming out to the trainings and coming out there and just kind of, you know, spreading the word, doing everything he can, as far as kind of being a player coach in that role right now, uh, until we start full training camp uh, uh, come January.
1: Got to be here before you know it, mate. well, resignings wise we've already talked about JP and a uh, big new resigning them which was great one of the names that caught my eye was Billy Stewart tell us a little bit more about Billy uh, a guy that's been in and out of the squad throughout the first two years but seems to be growing and, and in strength to strength are you expecting a big thing from him 2020
2: yeah we, um, we were really high on Billy, you know, even last year at the end of the year, we have our, you know, kind of our banquet our awards banquet at the end of the year, end of the season. He actually was voted by his teammates as most improved, which I thought was well-deserved because it was not only just what most improved from year one to year two, uh, but it was also most improved throughout the course of the year from week one to week, uh, to week 16, um, when he got here at the at the end of uh, year one, uh, wasn't quite at the level that he likes to play at as far as weight-wise, you know, size and everything, and obviously getting stuck into the pattern right away was kind of a little bit of a whirlwind. Stayed around here all summer, got in the gym, got stronger, put on 22 pounds, uh, and then obviously working with guys like Kane and Cam Dolan, Kyle Bailey, Nikola Bursic, um, he was, you know, picked up the pattern real well, and, you know, I thought he did outstanding job for us last year, even the set pieces, coming off the bench, starting – um and we're really excited, uh, you know, we just extended now for two year extension. He's been staying here all summer long as well, uh lifting and working out with Ed Costner and getting on you know, getting in his program that uh we're looking for a real explosive year for him uh for year three.
1: I have to make one quick correction because he'll get upset if I don't mention I forgot Nick Feeks, another Australian down there as well. Yeah? Uh, how... Oh
2: yeah. Nikki Vicks, love the guy. Yeah, our rookie of the year last year. Uh, you know, great, at, at our uh, at our banquet, rookie of the year, outstanding player um, that we're, we're extremely high on. We kind of call him uh, nickname around here has been kind of Patrick Mahomes because uh, he's kind of got that swag. You know, kind of got that swagger and that attitude. That uh, he's a pretty fearless player that'll go for it. Um, you know, no matter what he's doing, whether he's at ten or if he's at wing or if he's at fullback, uh, he's going to come up. When he makes a mistake, he keeps playing through. Um, you know, so that's another guy that we're really high on and really excited to have for the for years upcoming.
1: Yeah, I really do like Nick Just a, a very confident player. I think you said it perfectly, that swagger, that confidence that's in him. And I think you've got a gem there in the next couple of years. Once he figures out what position he wants to play, maybe a bit of nine, maybe a bit of nine this year. I kind of liked him when you slotted him in there. Sure.
2: Yeah, and... It- he sure was. Yeah. And, that, and that's another, again, that's kind of the trend that we're building, you know, like I said, um, you know, and well, as this year or as this um, league grows and it's still, you know, in its infancy here at year three. And um, I think the more versatile players you can get, I mean, you got some injuries and uh, working with the salary cap, um, you know, you want to be able to, you know, fit as many players as you can in there. And I think uh, we really, the way that Nate and coaches and his style of play and, you know, playing fast uh, you know his, his kind of rule is like hey just let's just get the best play. we'll just get the best backs out there give me the best playmakers we can get and uh, and we'll make it work we'll We'll make it gel during training camp and uh, we'll find a way to, uh, find a way to make it work and if uh if you're starting at fullback one week and you're moving to center uh, these guys have a high enough rugby iQ
1: and talent level that they can make it work and they can do it There you go. fixy There's your shout out my vimno account uh, I'll email to you <laughs> you can top it up. All right, you one more, mate, and then I'll let you go because I know it's uh, late down there in the Big Easy. 2020, a message for New Orleans fans. What can they expect from Nola Gold as you move to a new home? The gold mine, love the name, by the way. I hope that I hope that was you, not Scotty Alexander who named that because that, it's good. He'll never let you hear the end of it. But yes, the gold mine, new home. <laughs> it's a new conference, fresh start in 2020. What can they expect, mate?
2: Yeah, um, we're excited, the same kind of style, you know, fast-paced, uh, fun rugby, um, exciting time. Guys that are passionate about it, are, we're extremely excited about our roster and our lineup, um, and we're going to take it to the next level this year. You know, we're looking to build off everything that we did last year from year one to year two was a huge jump, obviously. we uh bringing back uh, almost 30 players between contracted players, guys that were, you know, associate players, guys that are in the area, adding college kids in, um, the – momentum and the motivation and the confident level and the buzz around our guys is through the roof and they're excited. They cannot wait for February 8th that I think our fans are going to feel that when we take the gold mine on February 8th, um, moving on the other side of the river and coming out that tunnel. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty explosive party, you know, on the field and in the stands and uh,
1: every every uh, single fan from New Orleans and every gold fan should be there. There you go, the gold fans. Broadway Joe Namath. He's just called it uh, championship coming to New Orleans from Ryan Fitzgerald right here, 2020 MLR champions. I love it. Fifty. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, that went Yeah. You know, hey, well, I'll write it. Uh, I'll write it for you, Dan. That's. Uh, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. From your lips to God's ears. We'll take it.
1: Yeah. So. Hey, come come June next year. Hopefully, we're looking back at this and saying, you know what, he was right. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely, it should be it should be a good year, Vici. Appreciate the time, mate. Really do love what you're doing down there yourself, Nate, Scott, the whole crew. Uh, outstanding what you've done. Uh, obviously, the ownership as well deserve a, a lot of credit as well. Just giving you guys and enabling you guys to to do what you do down there. And I'm Absolutely thrilled watching you guys coming down and calling some games this year. It was great, great style of rugby, great atmosphere, and really looking forward to uh, hopefully christening the gold mine with you next year.
2: Absolutely. I uh, really appreciate the support, Dan, and uh, looking forward to getting you down here this uh, this season.
1: Can't wait, mate. Can't wait. You owe me that dinner, by the way, too. Absolutely. <laughs> there we go. All right, Brian Fitzgerald, GM of NOLA Gold, and uh, big, big things coming up in 2020 for New Orleans fans. Make sure you get out to the new home grounds there at the gold mine. should be great. Well, there you go, Pete. Fitzy from NOLA Gold, uh, one of the real genuine good guys and. Like I said, just so excited with what they're doing down there. I think the the slope is is definitely up for New Orleans rugby, and NOLA Gold is at the absolute top of that down there in the south.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. So, so, so this is so so. Back in the day, right? So, in the 19th century, each English private school had its own version of the game, even though, like, they some you know most of them didn't pick up the ball. They all had their own version. so rugby would play a version of football, but it, they would still it'd still be rugby. and then if rugby played another um, private school they would actually have to negotiate the rules that they would have because the two schools didn't have the same run. So they were still because he was playing at rugby, he was still playing rugby. Um, and it wasn't soccer because soccer, um, and I think I've said this before comes from the word association and the Football Association didn't exist until 50 years after William Webb Ellis allegedly picked up the ball. So there was no soccer and there was no rugby. There were just different versions of football, each from each private school. I think we may have like got a little bit off on a tangent here. I'm surprised that um, uh, Aaron behind the virtual glass hasn't in- intervened. Let's uh, let's get on to the uh, let's get back on track. Let's uh, let's let's uh, let's hear about your interview with uh, um, with Ryan Fitzgerald, and then we'll talk about um, what New Orleans needs to do next year.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the signings. Ryan and I went over the reason that you know, he was attracted to all three players and made, you know, very good points and, and shored up a lot of things that you've already talked about with New Orleans. The big one for me was was Dino Waldron because uh, Ben Tarr, we talked about how big of a loss Ben was. And I think you add this into the mix. It also gives both of them the ability to not start every game and you can have a rotation through that front row that's probably going to be more favorable at the back end of the year. Then you could see the miles that they put in early in the year Losing Ben early, I think that front row was pretty burnt out by the back end of the year. And you mentioned they brought in Davies, but a little bit too late.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Walton's a quality player. I think he's, um, you know, he uh, um, provides uh, some mobility and impact around the field. But also, you know, he, he's, a, like, I think probably a long-term solution there for them. Um, but I, I love, Dan, your your comment about this idea of depth, right? So the idea is, you could you know particularly in the forwards, but I, I think even in the backs, it's a long season. Um, you know, next year, teams are only going to have one one break, right? There's only one buy, So it's going to be even more more important to have depth. So teams are going to need 45 players on contract. You know, you're talking about, you know, probably the last 10 of those, maybe those guys are the, the developmental guys, but you're going to need 35 players that can step on the field and compete can compete in Major League Rugby, and I think that's what um, NOLA are building.
1: Let's talk about some of the players that they've lost as we look at 2020. Michael Basker, their backup, pretty much everything in the back line. Uh, Him and Nick Feek's great versatility in 2019. Basker doesn't return. He is still a free agent, and Taylor Howden, he moves just a little bit west over to the Houston SaberCats for 2020. Let's talk about Basker, though. I was a big fan of Michael Basker, a young kid. He spent the summer up in Kansas City doing great things up there. It'll be interesting to see you know, what they do, especially if they run into some injuries at that position. Do you move Nick Feeks to nine permanently now to back up Holden Youngett? Or do you think with the addition of Coleman and Mayer, you have more depth now at that 10 position, and it allows uh to shift back to his preferred nine spot? Yeah, I mean I
0: think that I mean I thought Comfoley was uh, absolutely outstanding it's outstanding at 10 I I would be concerned about moving him. I mean I'm you know I'm a great believer that that you know the with what Nola have where they've got multiple people that can play multiple positions that really opens up what you can do and that maybe one of the things that Nate Osborne can do is be sort of a little bit less um you know, um, position specific and you can actually play players based on context. And I've done this a couple of times in my coaching career. Like if you've got Con Foley, um, and, um, you know, Youngerts on the field, don't ask Youngerts to run all the way across to the far five, five meter line. Foley goes and plays nine there. Let Youngerts play 10. It allows you to play a little quicker. It allows you to be able to move a little move the ball a little bit quicker away from um what's a really difficult attacking spot when you're out by the sideline um i think there's you know you, you can do lots of lots of different things i mean i think Youngitz is the starter at nine so i wouldn't want to move um foley there i think you might see feeks um being a bit of a um you know um, a halfback sub putting him on the bench You can cover nine and ten and just like you said there's 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 a lot of people that can play there i mean you know honestly i think the um you know jp eloff's best position if you really you know if you wanted to be an international is probably at nine he's just a little bit too small um for the international game um in the back three and and even at 10 so um you know but they've got players that can play all over the place so um yeah i'd like to see feeks move more inside i think you know nine or ten is better for him in terms of his development and so with basco away and some of these new signings that's probably where they're going to move
1: yeah, Scott Gale sorry was uh, was the nine it
0: oh that's right yeah
1: yeah right by trade back in the day I get those two I get those two mixed up all the time both very uh, young handsome australians uh unlike uh, Nick Feeks who is uh,
0: a handsome american
1: old handsome Nick Feeks <laughs> All right, Pete. let's uh, let's talk a little bit of around the league. Let's go around the grounds with some signings. Again, a lot of lot of news coming out with signings as teams are really ramping up. Let's talk a little bit about some of the ones that caught your eye. Um, I made you go first last week, so I think I should be the one that jumps in. The big one for me was out of Seattle, uh, Rano Eckstein, out of the Free State Cheaters and Stormers, fly half slash fullback Matt Turner resigns. You think he's a fullback? does this mean the end of Ben Seema in Seattle I,
0: I I don't I mean I think that if you um, you know one of the one of the things about the or one of the critical pieces that's been true um, for Seattle in the last two years is that they've been relatively injury free I mean you know not not completely, but they've been relatively injury free, and I think they've found themselves with with they're a team that is um, you know aging. Some of their stars are in you know in their thirties, and so I don't think Ben Seam is necessarily going anywhere. But I think that there's more competition here, and you know Matt Turner is one of those players that um, is is in his thirties. So having someone that can spell Matt, I think, is going to be um, important. So I think a lot of these signings are really geared around the fact that there's less breaks during next year, that teams are realizing that the the competition's so great that you can't just have someone that can do an okay job if one of your players is out. You need someone that can do a good job. So what you're seeing is teams going out and looking to get depth at those important positions like a tight head, at hooker, um at nine and ten and at fullback. And I think that um, you know, that's what this signing is. Um I think it's great. I think that um you know it's going to be a really interesting um, uh, um, opportunity for the uh, um, for the SeaWolves to bring in someone who has um, you know some good experience with the Cheetahs, and um, you know I think all of that stuff around competition for SEMA is going to be important.
1: Who's your backup nine now? Again, I'm totally derailing this podcast from Noel Cole, but just while we're on the signings, backup nine now in Seattle: Phil McRatay, J.P. Smith. What are you doing with that?
0: I mean, I mean, you know, they've got uh, a Swiss Army knight in um, Shalom Saniola, right? So he can always cover there. And Shalom's, again, one of those players in his early 30s that you might think, you know, how much do we want to play him? Um, But it's going to be, you know, some of these decisions are going to be really interesting because there hasn't been a lot of news out of Seattle in terms of new signings. You know, they obviously have um, a great connection with – uh British Columbia and Vancouver, there's a lot of good players that are that are there that aren't um in major league rugby. It'll be interesting to see um if you know Phil Mack can use his Canadian connections to bring some of those players aboard. Um so, you know, I think it's a little bit too early to kind of make those um, you know, to to be able to see what's gonna happen. But Cinelli is obviously, I mean I think he's played for the Eagles at nine, right? So at a World Cup. So I'm pretty certain he'll be pretty competent there.
1: We'll we'll finish this in a few weeks when we do Seattle. Any signings or re-signings that caught your eye over the last two weeks, Pete?
0: Well, I like, um, you know, uh, J.P. Aguero. I mean, his move to New York, I think, is really interesting. I think that that is um, a good uh, – a really good choice. I think he's a really, really quality player. Um, you know, he's he's one of those Lindenwood players that that's coming through. So um I think um Aguare to, to New York I think is really interesting. That's a that's a, a big upgrade, I think, um, for them in terms of having some playmaking in the midfield. Um I think they had some really good runners, but not as many playmakers. And I think that, you know, Ben Foden's gonna be pretty happy that he's you know, if they end up playing Aguare at, at twelve, which is I think where they they would play him, that they've got you know, a second pivot that can move that ball wide. Where
1: well, are you putting Bastaro if you put Aguero at 12?
0: Well, I would I would play um, – uh, I thought Bastero was moving to number eight. Isn't that what the what the rumor was? But um, I would actually play Bastaro at 13, um, you know, because I like having that 10-12, um, uh, which is sort of – the way I think England um, are going to be playing as they move into the World Cup where they have um, – uh, you know, Ford and Farrow at 10 and 12, and then the big runners on the outside. Um, I would play uh, Bastaro at 13 and and let Agüero play at 12.
1: I like it, Pete. I like it a lot. Hey, you want to talk a little uh, Rugby World Cup, mate?
0: I would love to talk some Rugby World Cup. It has been just –
1: I mean, it's
0: been amazing. So, you know, I think about – you know, we're here in the U.S. Obviously, I'm English. Um, You know, we – I I have a good good friend here who's English, and we were talking about um, the game, and uh, you know he's you know I started talking about we when I was saying to the I was, I was talking about the US, and he goes we, and I'm like yeah, dude, I've been here 25 years, but it's it's been a it's it's been a really interesting World Cup. I think the coverage on NBC Sports has been really good. Um, it's great to be able to watch the games. I can get up you know a little bit early um, and watch the games that have been gone overnight, and there have been some really really good games, and I I have to. I'm going to do a shout-out before we get into our Canada-US um, rundown, down because I want a big shout-out for Uruguay. Mm. Pulling off, I think, the biggest... It's it's by ranking the biggest upset in World Cup history, and I think it might be by odds. So Uruguay um, beat Fiji 30-27. Um, I think they were 120-1 to to win the game. The year before... Fiji had beaten Uruguay by 60 points. And I think this is where Major League Rugby is having an impact beyond the US and Canada. Um, you know, your guy, Santiago Arada, scored an amazing try, had a great game. Um, the backline, Rodrigo Silva, Andres Villaseca, um, uh, uh, Gaston Mieres, I mean, those are all guys that played Major League Rugby and were standouts. And I think that's an impact that Major League Rugby is having when they're closing those gaps i think fiji looked past uruguay absolutely and unfortunately you know uruguay lost to georgia three days later because they just weren't able to recover but uruguay pulling off that game shows the impact that major league rugby is having around the world
1: yeah, how good is Arada? like such a class player
0: he's good, man. He's good. i mean you can see what houston missed when he got injured i mean he is just uh um yeah he's he's gonna be one of those players that hopefully will be back in major league rugby because if he gets healthy for a year I think he can be absolutely phenomenal.
1: Well, the problem is with that game that he plays against Fiji is he's re-signed with the Sabercats for next year, but there's probably going to be a bunch of clubs in Europe who watch that game and be like, you know what? I really like that kid. Let's give him a shot and bring him over. And uh, we may we may lose him to our shores, which would be a real shame because... I think the Sabercats, like you said, much better side with Arata at nine. And I think uh, he, he was in pole position to take over that starting number nine for the whole year, as long as he's healthy. So that's a big loss. But let's focus on some other games. Uh, All Blacks Canada overnight, uh, no upset there. Uh, the All Blacks, probably one of the, probably the most difficult side to to pull an upset on. They're just not really built to have complacency. Even with the Barrett boys just bombing tries left, right, and centre, it was still quite a, uh, an expected touch-up from Canada. But All Blacks just looking in fine form, as we expected. Pete.
0: Yeah, I watched. I, you know, I watched that game today. I, I, you know, I did get up for the US game. I didn't get up for the um, the uh, Canada New Zealand game, but I watched it. And, and you know, it was it was interesting because you know I think it was sixty three nothing with almost twenty minutes to go. And, um, you know, Canada were able to hold out New Zealand in that last 20 minutes. Part of it was some poor execution by, by New Zealand, but I think that showed a lot of effort by Canada. But I think, you know, one of the things that has been really interesting for me about Canada um, in both the Italy game and the New Zealand game is I think they've really, they've really struggled defensively. They've struggled both in terms of the physicality of the defence. And actually, I think their, their defensive structure is a little too stretched. So when you play teams like New Zealand, you know what's going to happen. They don't want to set a ruck. They want to look to offload. And so what you need is you need to have some tight defense in the middle of the field to take those offloads away. Um, and so, you know, teams like the US, and I thought the US did this really well against France, is they stay nice and tight in the middle When the ball goes wide, they drift. Canada seemed to be stretched all the way across the field and it left a lot of their players one-on-one. And, um, you know, against New Zealand, I think that's, that's really, really tough. And, you know, I think Canada, you know, let's, let's remember that Canada only got into the World Cup um, through the reprochage And right now they're looking like a team that is, um, you know, the last team to qualify for the World Cup. They've got, you know, their big opportunity is, um, you know, against Namibia in, the last, um, in their last game. Uh, but of course, um Namibia will be on a full week's rest and Canada will be on a short week, having just played South Africa. Um, I think that Namibia go into that as strong favourites and Canada's gonna have to do something pretty different to be able to walk away um with the last you know, with a win in that last game. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's gonna be uh, it's it's their biggest chance for a win, but at this point, unless they can have a turnaround, uh, it's it's a stretch at this to see it happening. Mate, you're up early. So was I. What was going through your head at 12 points to nine when AJ kicked that penalty? So
0: what was actually going through my head at that point was I was thinking, are we like, I think it was three line-out misses away from being ahead in this game? I mean, like like I, I went from the funny thing was, well, I mean, to be fair, look, yeah, let's, let's be honest, it wasn't the French first choice team right? And, and you know, that's just the reality in a World Cup like this. They're going to rotate. But we had parity in the scrum, right? And I thought Eric Fry really stepped up and had an amazing game at, at, at Loosehead in the tight. Um, we had parity in the scrum. Um, our defense was um, much, much better than it was against England. Like you could see that the you know our, our territorial game was working because we were playing um, uh, um, you know, better defense. So when we kicked the ball away, Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of issues and, you know, I can see it online. People talking about the box kicks, you know, that it was working. You can't complain about it. That was working. Like, yeah, we gave the ball away. And if you listen to Gary Gold in his um, post-match press conference, he said, we knew that the wings of France wanted to run with the ball, but they weren't great under the ball. And that's why they were kicking. And it worked. They kicked and they chased and they kept the ball in France's half. And so when they got the ball, that's what allowed them to play. So at 12-9, I was like, man, we've missed three lineouts and it's 12-9. Three attacking lineouts. What if we had got it? But I always knew, like, you know, I, and, and uh, you know, I texted Alex Corbissaro who was doing the commentary at halftime. I'm like, man, we're in this, but we have to be leading at 65 minutes because the bench strengths were just completely different right i think that um you know it was a uh you know you looked at the french bench and you're like oh these are all their starters and you looked at the us bench and you said oh there's a couple of people here that are here because we have injuries and so you knew that that last 15 minutes was going to be tough and we had to start up and, and we didn't um but it was like you know it was you know for 65 minutes um just a really really outstanding performance by the team and even at the end you know that that Greg Peter, Peterson break with Ruben de Haas on the right. I'm just like I was screaming past the ball, and and my wife was like, "Shh, our daughter's sleeping." Like, I know, but the guy was right there. Like it would have been great to have have taken that taken that try. So, um, you know, it was it, it was a it was a it was a great performance. And you know, I'm you know, lots of discussion online about whether you should kick for posts. The line out wasn't functioning. You have to kick for post. Like it wasn't. There's no doubt that that was the right. Um, the right call. If the US line out in the second half was going better, then yeah, you might want to kick to touch, but you needed to take those points.
1: Yeah, it's a matter of feeling on the field, right? Like where's the momentum? You kind of know what's going on, and I agree with you, man. It, it had the feeling of that Scotland game, but I agree. It's like, well, we've got to be in front here because if you're on the French bench and you know, typically you'd be in that starting fifteen, and you're watching what's happening, how tight this is. You know, it's it's frustrating and you're going to go out there and make a, a pretty big impact so knowing that was coming that french wave was coming off the bench i'm like well we've got to we've got to be a converted try ahead here and then just defend for the last 20 minutes like we've never defended before and we can we can hold on similar to the, the scotland win where we a misconversion mis, mis at the end and we win the game so but still i i think it was a great performance and i and I've talked offline to quite a few people about this and Exactly, I said 2019 is probably four years too early to actually see the full impact of what MLR can do.
0: Absolutely, that's exactly what had to happen right?
1: for the hey. USA.
0: Well, I mean, I, yeah, I there was, a, um, you know, I think a quote from, from Gary that said, um, you know, this World Cup is a learning world cup. And you know, having been to two World Cups myself, it, it's it's a learning for the coaches as well as the players and for the staff. Um, I, I'm I'm you know with that comment, I was hopeful. I'm like, oh, I mean, four more years with Gary and his staff together, um, with Major League Rugby, with some of the players that we have coming through. You know, I, I, we can continue to close that gap. So I. It was good. Yeah, there are a couple of really interesting things that, that happened in, in in the game against France. So, yeah, you know, I want to go back to the game against England where we did not play well, and you know, I you could see the response of, of the you know the players and the, and the coaches after that game. I mean, that was just a poor performance. One of the things that England did that was really really smart, and it just tells you kind of like the way that thinking goes into it, is that um you know, AJ McGuinty is um you know our world class player. Right, um, he would probably get into the squad of, of 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 any team that's at the World Cup. You know, he's a starter for a Premiership side. Um, you know, but he's a right-footed kicker. And what England did um, consistently was that they kicked to their right, therefore putting the US in a situation in their own half where the clearing kicks couldn't come from AJ, but had to come either from Sean Davies or from Paul Lasike. Right, who actually has a huge left boot but you need a left left footer. And I thought it was interesting that they actually um, used Martin Yusefo's left boot in the game to be able to clear in that corner. So that's obviously, it's just interesting when you see that chess match match that England did some analysis. They said, hey, you know, we're going to take their best kicker out of the game. It's the reason why the US weren't able to play much territory. We're going to kick to that corner. And, you know, the US had a solution in that first game, which was um, the CK, but they knew, if it was coming again, they didn't have that solution, and they had Martin yosefo kick, and um you know he, his, his kick was actually pretty darn good. I was like very surprised. I didn't know he was left-footed because I'd never seen him kick before, <laughs> but his kick was was long, made grass, and, and he had a good good chase. So that's like some of the things that I look at as a coach when I'm watching these games. You know, I'm trying to think about seeing patterns, and you saw that pattern in, in England. Um, you know, in that England game. And so, you know, you saw the adjustment that um, the US made when they saw that pattern again.
1: Yeah, and you got to remember these players in the English squad have access to incredible amounts of film and information that they process week after week in the premiership. It's just second nature to them. They would have dissected the USA's performances through the Pacific Nations, through the ARC, through the warm-up games. They probably would have watched some Major League Rugby for those players as well. They play against AJ while he's at Sale. I think they knew uh, exactly where we were strong and where we were not and did a phenomenal job of nullifying it.
0: And, 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 and that's actually a skill. Like, like So video analysis for the player you know, I think one of the challenges for Major League Rugby is that, you know, so the strength and conditioning, you know, you can see some expertise being brought in, sort of coaching is being upskilled. But some of these areas of what you would call high performance, like video analysis, it's a skill to be able to watch video, to watch your opposite number, to be able to pick up traits and then apply them in the game. Like that's something you have to do week in, week out. And, you know, it's not – you know, I don't think there's any team in Major League Rugby that currently has the staffing that allows them to do that. But every single one of the premiership teams and every single one of the top four teams do that. So the ability for for these Tier 1 teams to adjust from game to game and for the players to adjust based on the video that they're seeing is much greater than teams like the U.S. and Canada.
1: Oh, absolutely. You want to hear a crazy story? Again, I'm going to go off that uh... – During camp in Minnesota with the Vikings, we were out on the practice field. By the time we had finished practice, walked up, showered, got dressed, walked to the meeting room, all of practice had been cut up. All the film had been sent, it had been cut up and all the positional rooms were set up. So obviously I went to special teams, you know, DBs, linebackers, offensive, defensive line, skill position, receivers, quarter. Everything had been cut within about a 15 minute window. And I'm like, wow at at training camp at you know it's not even a game and i'm like and that's what you know the level of professionalism that we're we're dealing with elsewhere and we'll get there we'll get there pete so i'm not too yeah and no,
0: yeah so like you know here's so here's where the the u.s is right so the u.s has um you know just like they're in the same boat as canada um they're that the game that they will probably that they should be um uh favorites for is their last game against Tonga, except just like Canada, they're in a short turnaround from their game um, against Argentina and Tonga will be well rested. So that's really the challenge. The challenge is, will, will the U.S. be healthy? And I think that if the U.S. is healthy going into that Tonga game, they they come in as favorites. It's going to be interesting to see where Argentina is um, in their game against the U.S. Because for Argentina, if they lose against England, then they're out. They're out of the uh, semi-finals of sorry, the playoffs of the World Cup. They're they're not making the quarters, and so might be interesting to think about what they're actually going to do in their last game against the US. Like it's the sort of thing as a coach, you would make that choice. Maybe there are some players that haven't played yet that you're going to give them a chance to play at the World Cup. I, I mean, that's sort of where I would go, um, and you know that might give the US a little bit of an edge if Argentina be England, then the U S is going to face a team that knows it's going to have to like score, score points, get bonus points, and they're going to put out the strongest team possible. So that game is going to be, is going to be really interesting for, for the US. I think that, you know, we need to be healthy. I think, um, you know, I love watching Mikey Teo play, but I think we lost a little bit um, of the kicking game without Will Hooley. Um, and it, we definitely missed um, Paul Uh You know, I thought Bryce Campbell didn't have a good game. And I also thought um, AJ McGinty, particularly in the end of the second half, really missed having a big, strong ball runner on his shoulder that if he didn't know what to do, he could just give it to him. And so I think getting Le CK bats can be really important for the US.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, again, all these different options and things. So Eagles fans, make sure you put on your... Uh blue and white argentina colors. Let's go for the uh, the Pumas there against the old enemy, England. Everyone hates England anyway. Know. you're Americans so I can still like you Pete, but come on. 1776, Gallipoli, yeah. Owen Farrell's shoulder charges. What have they ever done that's any good?
0: Well, you know, John Quill did did get one back on Owen Farrell for the uh, um for the for the shoulder charge and um you know, I just there's one person that we have to talk about. I, there's two people that we need to talk about in terms of the U.S. performance. You know, I was up at 145. You were up at 145. We need to get it. Number one, Tony Lamborn had, like, the game of his life. In fact, I think that the referee um, didn't let the uh, um, the tackle contest. I mean, the U.S. did so well at the breakdown. Throughout the whole game, and um, Tony Lamborn was a big piece of that. And let's have a big shout out to Ben Pinkelman, who came in, has not played a lot of fifteens last couple of years. Seven star, like a, and his work rate at the breakdown again. There was one moment where Tony Lamborn had clearly stolen the ball, like he had poached it. He was on it. Um, France weren't releasing. And Tony Lambourne knew that he got the ball, but the referee told him to release because the ruck had formed and he didn't want to release. And Ben Pinkelman comes and hits Tony Lambourne's hand and tells him, let go of the ball. The referee's telling you to let go of the ball. Comes in, taps his hand. let lets go. Ben Pinkelman comes back into the bat line. I'm like, this is a guy that is going to be good. This, you know... Let's hope these sevens players don't play too well because we want them to be in Tokyo next year. But Ben Pinkelman showed that he has a 15s career ahead of him once he's uh, done playing sevens.
1: Well, there were some question marks over Pink's and whether or not he should be in the squad and with the sevens and lack of 15s experience. Let me tell you what Ben Pinkelman has in his chest, you just can't coach. That guy is an absolute champion of a human being. He's the kind of guy that players just want to play with. Like he's just that type of guy. And no matter what situation you put him in, I mean, you can go you – know, just to steal a reference from, from our world, you can give him a cricket bat and a ball and send him out there and he will figure it out. You know, he's just – he's a tenacious competitor. And you can't you can't coach that in a player. And I know Gary Gold saw that. I know Mike Friday sees that in him. And that's why he just has this unwavering confidence in his ability to get the job done, and he does it. He's the first player I pick.
0: I, I, I think that, you know, I'm really happy. I You know, full credit to Mike Friday, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's the timing that you want. You know, they've qualified for the Olympics. But, you know, he's, he's put some of his star players, and he said, you know, you guys can help the U.S. play. It's going to affect us. Right, it's going to affect um, you know at least the first two stops of the series. We're not going to have some of our best players, but I want to support them to go, and I think that's full credit for Mike Friday to do that. Because in the US, we don't have enough good players that we can have two separate squads. I think Martin Yusefo, you know, um, the uh, France obviously targeted him in the kicking game, but you know, one of those kicks was not sure I've ever seen a kick like that before. I thought his positioning was good. It was just a, a great kick. Um, I think that there was an, another kick where I do think he was out of position, but Martin Yusefo brings things to the table the same way Ben Pinkelman brings things to the table, right? That we don't have anywhere else. So um, I think it's a great look for the U.S. to have their sevens players out there leading. I think it will make them better sevens players. I've always felt that. I think Yosefo is going to come out and just going to be a stud when he gets onto the seventh circuit this year. But, you know, and, and those are the gambles that Gary Gold has made. And there, there aren't many gambles that he's made so far that haven't looked like they've, they've either paid off or they will pay off.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I I, I will echo your sentiments there on Mike Friday. Mike gets it. He knows what a World Cup means. Uh, you know, it, it's still even with the Olympics. I still think it's the pinnacle of the game to to go to a World Cup. So to to rob those guys of that opportunity, uh, you know, I think he he realizes it for the greater good. And I think he really cares for his players. That's what comes across to me. He's a guy who just really cares about the well-being of his players as human beings and gives them a shot to go over to the world cup. And I think uh, they're making the most of it. They're showing uh, maybe we should be looking at that sevens pathway a little differently perhaps uh, in the future.
0: Yeah. I, you know, well, I mean, I think that it's, I think we will get to the point when we've got a larger player base that there'll be more seven specialists, but, you know, I think, um, you know, Friday's done a good job. You can see with some players, um, you know, that have played some major league rugby and played sevens this year. I think, I think that um you know he's a he's a um a holistic guy when he thinks about player development um you know and I think that it's uh you know I think I think it's, it's it's good for the game I'm you know I'm excited to see this team they've got a week before they play Argentina I'm excited to see um you know get them to recover right um get healthy and 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 come back and I think that um you know uh, I just, you know, looking forward to seeing the US play again.
1: Me too, and I'm, uh, I'm actually looking forward to getting onto the pillow tonight. I'm sure you are too. But before we go, Pete, let the uh, let the people at home know what they need to do when they're obviously they found us because they're listening to us. But how can they help us out on the socials and also on the podcast streaming uh, platforms they're listening on?
0: I'm sorry, Dan, you you broke up there. What did you say? I lost you.
1: Oh, just, I'm just asking for your usual spiel on...
0: Uh, oh, for my usual spiel. Oh, my usual spiel. Wow. thank you.
1: Social media, podcast platforms, five stars, reviews, all that stuff. Get into it.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's almost like you should be able to do it yourself. But, yeah, please leave us um, reviews, um, rate us those ratings on... Um, uh, Um, Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or on Google Play. They help people find us. So if you leave a review and, and, you know, I should, we should start checking down and seeing what people say on those reviews and maybe we'll start creating a little segment. But um, the more reviews you leave, the more people find us, the more that we can spread the word of Major League Rugby.
1: I love it, Pete. I love you too. Go get some sleep and start spreading the news. Next podcast, it's New York, New York. We'll dive into Rooney season And uh, we'll have someone on, who knows, maybe James Kennedy. Maybe we'll get a translator in James Kennedy, maybe James English. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see until next time. And until next time, Dan Power, Pete Steinberg, our producer Aaron Castor. Thanks for tuning in, guys.